I've actually been adopted as an adult to a wonderful couple. Um, mom who was adopted herself, they had a son who was adopted and, but they could never adopt a baby girl. Like they had always tried to. And, uh, me as an adult with children and everything, and we'd moved across the country and, um, just was trying to really settle our life better and away from all that craziness, I would say, you know, with the, the cult life and, and the, the pool that family has on you genetics, you know, um, and they uh, welcomed us into their home and actually legally adopted me as an adult. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Trauma. How does trauma of all types impact or influence your pregnancy, labor, and postpartum? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 129 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and today's episode is beautiful, but very serious. We're speaking with Madon, who has experienced a long journey of learning about early childhood traumas and how they greatly impacted her most recent birth. We're going to share about the importance of talking about these traumas, not leaving them unattended to fester, which can feel like the easier path. Now, I always do my best to be upfront regarding difficult content so that you can make the choice to listen now or perhaps save it for later when you feel more prepared or in a safer mental place. This is very likely an episode that you'll want to listen to with earbuds if you've got some young ears around, starting now because I'm going to tell you what's coming. We will bring up some very triggering topics including growing up in a cult, sexual assault and mention of rape, birth assault and trauma, and alienation from family members. I know it sounds heavy, and it is, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, and Madon is an absolute joy to speak with. You're going to gain so much from what she shares about herself and several clients who agreed to let her share bits of their stories, and even if you don't relate directly to her experiences, this story has given me a whole new compassionate lens for the experiences of others. Now, let's thank our reviewer of the week, Blessed Mama 0525, who says, As a birth worker, this podcast is an amazing resource for expectant moms, whether it's their first or their sixth, like me. Caitlin does such an amazing job bringing real, beautiful stories to our homes, or if you're like me, usually driving in the car, going to a birth, or a myriad of other things. I wish we had a resource like this when I was expecting my first, but so thankful that mothers have it now. I listened to them all when I was expecting my youngest two and a half years ago and still continue to listen every week. Thank you, Caitlin, for putting so much time and effort into interviewing these amazing mamas and sharing their incredible stories. May it bless many more moms to come and help them in their journey to and through motherhood. Oh, thank you so much, Blessed Mama. This was such an amazing review, and I'm so grateful. If you would please email me at caitlin at myhappyhomebirth.com, I would love to send you a Happy Homebirth podcast sticker. And finally, before we head in, here's something really exciting. This episode was sponsored by Baby Trend and the Cover Me 4-in-1 Convertible Car Seat. I opted to skip the newborn car seat with my second daughter, and this car seat is so unique in that it addresses the number one complaint by experienced mothers, sun in your baby's eyes. The Cover Me seat is able to do this with its integrated canopy that offers height adjustability, ratcheting coverage, and side sun protection. 
The CoverMe has a usage rating from 4 to 100 pounds, so you can install it for your infant and adjust it as your child grows from rear-facing to forward-facing, all the way up to belt positioning booster. It's got a recline system that allows your child to find a comfortable position, and it's designed to take up a limited amount of space, even in the rear-facing position. And it's got some super cool features that help make life easier for mom and kiddo, including a no-twist harness indicator, a no-rethread harness, and a comfort cabin, which is its multi-layered padding system, letting your baby or child feel snug and secure. So go to babytrend.com forward slash OSSA and use the code COVERME20 for your new convertible car seat. All right, let's dive into Madon's story. Please remember the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And this show is not meant to prescribe or treat. It's an educational tool. So continue to take empowered responsibility for your health and your family. Madon, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. I am so excited to have you here. You have been an asset to the Happy Home Birth Podcast community, and you have some incredible and very intense information for us to to discuss today. So before we get to that, would you take a moment to just introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Um, My name is Madon Wingo. I live in um, just outside of Sweetwater, Texas. Um, I have six children here. on earth. And I have one with the Lord who we lost in the second trimester. Um, it, we, um, we have a beautiful little home here in Texas that we enjoy. I currently am a student midwife. So training to be a midwife. Um, I'm just finishing up my assistant phase. I've been training for about a year and, um, loving it. Did not know how much I was going to, um, how it's part of me actually, until I started with a midwife and just knew like, Oh Lord, this is what I was supposed to do. So it has been wonderful, but through it, it's um, taught me so much about myself while I've been learning so much about birth and women and, and how our bodies work, even things that we subconsciously don't realize are happening. And um, it's just been quite the learning experience. Oh, that is, that's incredible to hear and has such a, a beautiful way to explain it. And I do feel like midwifery can be that, you know, it's just like, oh, there's just this deep calling. And once you find it, it's like, oh, this was it. This is, this is what yeah. I was meant for. Yeah. So I'm so glad. It, just my first couple prenatal days with the midwife, I was just in tears. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize, like I knew it's something I've wanted to do for almost five years. And it was at my husband's encouragement, um, almost 18 years next week, actually. And it, it was his insistence and encouragement that this is what you're supposed to do. I know it. This is a good time for you to get started on it. Our oldest is almost 16. And um, he was right. It was perfect. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And you're about to be primary. So you're going to be. Yeah, I'm getting close. Yes, we're getting there. That's really <laughs> I, had, I missed a birth this week. It was really it was really hard actually <laughs> that I had to miss a birth because I had to have a, a procedure done and, and she happened to go into labor in the morning and I didn't get to go. So, Oh man. Yes. So I well, hate when that happens. It's I rarely know. happened, but it's yeah. Well, I know that you are such an asset to these mothers. So I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. So Today's uh, podcast episode is going to be a one that's really necessary. And what I find so interesting about this is I hadn't thought to do this episode, but you approached me with this concept and idea and immediately it was like, oh my gosh, yes. Like how has this not, how have I not 
thought of this. So I'm so grateful for you for bringing it up and then being willing to share. We're going to be diving into trauma. Um, so birth trauma and past traumas, sexual traumas, childhood traumas related to giving birth. So I want to be upfront with that in the bit beginning for listeners, because obviously a lot of this information is going to be very intense. So of course, you know, listen, listen in if you feel ready. And if not, you can come back to it. And if you need time to process, you know, everything is, is all good, but I know that this is a resource that many mothers are going to want and need. Um, so thank you for being willing to provide it. And with that, I think the best way for us to get started is for you to kind of take us back to your beginning. Absolutely. Well, and it's a hard subject. It's a hard subject for us to just talk about and communicate about. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a hard subject to broach with anybody. Um, so it definitely is something that I never thought about talking too much about until I really started just, just getting to see these other births and relating to my own birth and realize that this is an issue that a lot of women have, and it's not talked about because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. So yeah, starting at my beginnings is really kind of ironic. Um, my, I, I was born in 1983, actually in a cult in Southern Missouri, very backwards. At the time, there was over 200 people in this cult. And my great-grandfather was the um, patriarch of the cult. He was actually in the lay midwife also. And he delivered all the babies there and named all the babies there. So that's how I got my name was from him naming me when I when he delivered me. And that, that's kind of how my beginnings were. But um, it's really interesting when I think about it. I didn't realize that people had memories before they were 10. I know that sounds really ironic, um, but I only learned that through my husband. And I thought he was odd that he could remember so many things when he was really little and I couldn't. And then I found out later that most people can remember at least to five and some people much younger than that. And I had very little bitty bits and pieces of memories, but not much that I could really pin down. And so that was that was difficult for me especially as a, a mama later raising my children and not, not remembering that age myself and um, not understanding why I didn't remember that age. So that was, that was really difficult for me. So I actually um, lived in two different cults. I was born in that cult, lived there for um, quite some time until there was an accident. And my, um, my brother, who was a year older than me, passed away in a car accident. And my mom, um, biological mom was, um, had her wrists broken and that's, our, we had, I had five siblings and we all got split up between different people there, um, from the history that I know. And then they kind of left for a little while because everything was in disarray and the patriarch died. And then they ended up waiting to go to another cult <laughs> until mm. a split off of that cult happened in Northern Arkansas, actually. And, um, and then they lived there. I lived there till I was 18, actually, um, met my husband. And I uh, knew that I needed to get out of this place as soon as possible. And um, I left and um, got married about four months later um, to him. And so very thankful for that. He's a very, very amazing Christian man that really helped me um, a lot through all of that. But uh, a big part of that is that there was so much that happened through that life that I don't know. And I'm learning and I'm getting parts of it back and talking to other people who were there, which is really hard to do and finding out that there was a lot of really terrible things that happened there. Mm -hmm. And probably my, my brain protected me um, really well 
And only now when I'm in a much safer place, has it been able to help me to heal and work through a lot of it, even though I have a lot more to work through. So, so started with my own birth. I mean, like, um, my husband and I got pregnant with our daughter about a year and a half after we were married and very excited. We both wanted to, to have a big family, but I had told my husband actually, when we first started dating that I was told my entire life that I would probably never be able to have children. And I never understood why I was told this. I, I would ask questions about why. And, and I was told, well, you have that bicycle accident. Don't you remember the bicycle accident you had? And every one of my siblings could quote how this bicycle accident happened to me, even though I was the second oldest and um, how, because of the damage from that bicycle accident that I had, that I would probably never be able to have children. But I also knew I, I was never taken to the hospital. I was never taken to the doctor. There was no medical, you know, diagnosis or anything like that. It's just something that was told to me my entire life. And so, but I dreamed of a large family. I, I, I dreamed of having a big family. My husband dreamed of having a big family. And so he was like, well, I'm not going to believe whatever they said, you know, we'll just see what happens. And lo and behold, a year and a half after we got married, we actually, um, um, got pregnant with our eldest. She's almost 16. And, um, it was, excited, but I wanted to go the midwifery route because that was just ingrained in me. And my husband did not, was not on the natural side of things much at all at the time. And he, he did not agree at all. And I didn't stand up and for wanting a midwife. And I got an OBGYN and um, had a very traumatic, terrible birth in the hospital. Actually, it was, um, it was, uh, it was hard. It was difficult. I didn't have support besides my husband who had never been through it before. Mm -hmm. took a childbirth education class, but it didn't seem to help us very much. Um, I ended up with her being torn out of me with forceps and not even knowing how far up my vaginal canal I ripped, um, but just thought it was terrible. And I broke my tailbone and I couldn't stand up straight for over nine weeks after her birth. Wow. So it was very um, difficult. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not what I was expecting at all. I've been looking forward to motherhood for so long. And I felt like it was a major letdown and I had some depression with it a little bit. Um, but I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how, you know, my husband was so elated with our daughter. I didn't know how to tell him, you know, that was terrible. That was horrible. I didn't, I didn't want that. And, and, um, I am thankful when we got pregnant I think she was six months old when we got pregnant with our next daughter that I told him, I want a midwife this time. We're having a home birth. And he said, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> so thankful that he did that. It's actually one of his big regrets that he did not say, okay, with the first one, he, it, it makes him very sad when he thinks about it now. Mm -hmm. Um, but we interviewed a midwife. We'd heard wonderful things about, and um, had some people that I had known that had used her before. Our first visit with her was over two hours long. She answered so many questions. One of the things that happened to me in the hospital um, that frustrated me so much, and it seems like a simple thing, but it was just my, like my rights being taken away. Mm -hmm. I would try to focus on the contractions and close my eyes and really just get into it and just like work through the waves, you know? And this nurse came in and decided that I was not allowed to close my eyes. And what? she, yes, I, it was just, she just decided I could not close my eyes. And she would yell at me, open your eyes. You're not allowed to close your eyes, open your eyes. And she convinced my husband that it was something terribly wrong if I closed my eyes through contractions. Oh my <laughs> and I just was so frustrated. 
and just felt so, I don't know, just like trapped. Like I can't even try to make it through these contractions. I was trying to have a natural birth in the hospital and nobody is helping me. And now this nurse has turned my husband into, you know, the Gestapo telling me that I cannot close my eyes during a contraction. And it was, that was like one of my, the first things I asked the midwife when I talked to her, it was like, can I, can I close my eyes during a contraction? And she, I mean, she was just shocked. Oh, she was gosh, so shocked. Makes she was me like, cry. You can do whatever you want. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Why? It, was, like, I, it just, I, it just makes me wonder why, like, <laughs> why do these people go on these power trips? Like what, I, what do you get out of that? I, I don't know. Yeah. What could she have gained? from that. I don't know if it was because I had been cut insisting I wanted a natural birth. I wanted a natural birth, which I did not end up. I mean, I did end up with a vaginal birth. So I am thankful for that. I could have, they had us, they told me if I didn't have her out in five more minutes, we were having a C-section, emergency C-section. And it took the doctor 30 minutes with the forceps to rip her out. Yeah. So, and I remember all that. I got an epidural. It worked for two hours and then it kinked off or pinched Mm -hmm. off whatever you want to call it. So yeah, that was really traumatic. So being able to talk to a midwife and we were in our living room and we had this wonderful conversation. And the first thing she told me is, of course you can have, close your eyes, open your eyes. You can do a dance. I don't care what you want to do during contractions. You know, she, she was amazing. And my husband just immediately, he was in love with her too. And he was like, absolutely. This is what we're doing. Um, and we just felt like it was just a new leaf, you know, getting to do something differently in the way we thought it should be done. And he helped study and read, of course, Anna McGaskin's books and, and different ones to help prepare for it. And, um, a very interesting thing happened. Um, when I left the cult, I was disowned. I was shunned. I was literally like, if anybody from the cult saw me out in public, they literally had to turn around and get out of the situation. So they were not in my presence. And that was really hard. That was, I had five siblings that I was the second oldest and I had to leave them there. And um, there was no contacting them. Every attempt at contacting, which there were, um, was not successful. And um, when I was going to have our second daughter, they, um, my biological family actually left the cult. Hmm. And it wasn't because they didn't agree with it anymore and decided, they needed to get out of it. It was because they wanted to go to a new cult. Oh. So, <laughs> so the grass is always greener at the other cult. <laughs> always, right? Why not? So, and it had been their life. That's actually that's what they were raised into. Um, so they were born there themselves. And so I know that there is probably a lot of mental health issues right. um, genetically um, in the family. And um and it's, I keep telling myself lately, it's either one of two, it's either severe mental health issues, issues, or just evilness. And then either way, they both need help. So, um, I'm just not the one to provide it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thankful that I got out mm-hmm. and, um, had a different life for my children. Um, cause I can't imagine having them there. Um, so, and you know, I didn't even realize when you're in a cult, you don't know you're in a cult. Right. And that's, people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that. And it took me a couple of years actually to realize that I had been in a cult. And cause I mean, like, I, I just had a friend who was just really blunt and she's like, so you're in a cult. And I'm like, what? No, no, no. It was just this group of people. We just all believe the same. And we, we, oh. we gathered and yeah, we were 
controlled by lots of rules and mm. and lots of fear and oh yeah it's a cult <laughs> oh, now that I'm saying it yes yes <laughs> yes so yeah. that that realization itself took a long time yeah. um for me to understand because it was so you know there's always truth and lies told together to try to make you believe or be okay with stuff and so it was hard because I was like but they were so family oriented you know yeah. and they were so so big and natural things and just just different things, which then, you know, then you counter and looked at all the other negative stuff. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. Just because there's a little good here doesn't mean that the whole rest of it was good at all. So it just it took a lot of mental stuff. And I'm, I'm thankful for my, my husband and our pastor who helped me a lot through all of that. But back to birth, my my biological mom, when they decided to leave that group and come out, they decided to try to contact me and to, to try to my heart was, Oh, I can have, you know, my family back. Mm. Um, even though I didn't put weight into everything else. Um, and I was just like, I'm pregnant, you know, wouldn't it be great to have my mom here? And she asked if she could come to, for the baby since she didn't get to be there for the first one, even though I actually called her when I was in labor with my first one and mm-hmm. she hung up the phone on me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I actually told her she could come. And um, it was very interesting. Our bodies are, um, they protect us. They try to at least. And our subconscious does a lot of things that we don't realize it. But um, she only had a two week window that she could come. And I held that baby in until she left. Mm. (laughs) And I didn't realize at the time, I kept going, why? I went over 42 weeks. Wow. Um, and I, uh, thankfully in Arkansas at the time, it wasn't illegal for my wife to attend a, a birth after 42 weeks. You were allowed to go to 43. Um, so I was very thankful for that at the time. Um, and we did do, you know, a biophysical profile and, you know, just testing, stress tests and all that. She was fine. Everything was fine. But I did not have that baby until the day after she left. Mm, and I think that's incredible. very interesting. It yeah. is. It yeah. really is that my body knew I wasn't safe, mm-hmm. knew I didn't trust her. And even though I didn't, couldn't pinpoint exactly why or anything, um, I couldn't, I couldn't have voiced any of that right. at the time. Um, but when I look at it now, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it knew I wasn't in a safe place and it needed to wait. And it did. It waited. I had her at 42 and three. Mm. Um, yeah. So 17 days over, <laughs> which is not normal. Um, or, you know, we don't generally get to go that far, actually. We should, we should really more phrase it that way. Um, so that, so that was interesting, but it was amazing because it was a quick birth. You know, my other birth had been like 23 hours. Um, this was six hours. I couldn't stop from pushing. It was two pushes that my body did and she was out and I would, my midwife was so compassionate and so caring and talking with my husband and I, um, Josh and I throughout the labor and laughing with us and joking with us. And it was just so relaxed and such a relief of a different atmosphere that it just was night and day experiences for us. And my husband, even himself, I mean, I was, I was walking right after I had her. I mean, you know, I, I got up, met family and stuff. We invited people, uh, my husband's, parents over right after she was born a couple hours after she was born because she's born in the evening and um, my father-in-law insisted that we had had her two days before and didn't tell them 
<laughs> because he couldn't believe the difference mm-hmm. um, just in how I was acting and how he was acting and how I was walking around and everything was just so, so different. And so even when we got pregnant with our third, um, his family who had been very against the midwife because I had almost had the C-section because I had so much trauma after having our first one. And like I said, I couldn't walk for at least nine weeks straight. Um, yeah, that they were, they were not happy about us getting a midwife and we had to really advocate for ourselves. But after we used the midwife <laughs> with our second and had this beautiful home birth, when we got pregnant with our third, which was our first son, everybody asked, well, did you call candy? Did you call oh. the midwife yet? <laughs> did you get on oh. her schedule? So <laughs> we thought that was really amazing because we made believers out of them. Um, when before they were very like, that is not a safe thing to do. It's not okay. And we just completely flipped it around on them. And they were so on board and so excited for us to get to have the same midwife again. And we just love her. And um, we actually got to have her for our fourth also. And uh, it was wonderful. She was great. The the next, the, the third came out well. He was a little bit bigger boy. So it <laughs> took a little more pushing. Um, but it was still wonderful afterwards. I had no, no injury, no, nothing, no, even no tears. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, even though he was much bigger um, than the others with a very large head and it, it was again, still a, a wonderful experience for us. And our fourth, um, which was our last one with that midwife, um, it was good too. It was a little longer than we expected. Um, it was interesting. We were in a little bit of a stressful time in our lives too. And so I, when I think back about that, I wonder, you know, how much did the stress um, in our life at that time, my husband was having issues with jobs. I was having my biological brother trying to contact me mm-hmm. and kind of get involved into our life a little bit. And it was, it was a lot of stress. And I wonder how much that contributed to us having a longer birth and a little bit more painful for me on my side birth. Everything still went wonderful, right. still no tears, still was able to walk afterwards, no problem and stuff. Um, but I was starting to have a little bit of a pelvis issue, um, which was, they thought was just my sciatic nerve, but wasn't sure what was happening um, with it. And we just kind of used a belt, you know, a support belt and tried to work through it and, and did, did really well. And so we actually had a, a vasectomy um, right after we had that daughter, because we, we thought we wanted a large family, but this seems like a pretty good amount in, in a few years. And so we're, we're going to slow down here because, <laughs> you know, again, remember I was told I couldn't have children. Right. <laughs> and we're talking about my, my youngest had turned five in June or my oldest had turned five in June. And then that September we had our fourth. Yeah. So, so you're, so yeah, was, clearly that yeah. Bike accident did not. <laughs> that was a, quite a few, yeah, that was a lot. Um, mm-hmm. it definitely was. And so, so then quite a bit of time went past. Um, we had some connection back and forth um, with the biological. At least we call them the biologicals now because I say that because I've actually been adopted as an adult to a wonderful couple. Um, mom who was adopted herself. They had a son who was adopted, and but they could never adopt a baby girl like they had always tried to. And uh, me as an adult with children and everything, and we'd moved across the country and um, just was trying to really settle our life better and away from all that craziness, I would say, you know, with the, the cult life and, and the, the pool that family has on you, genetics, you know, um, and they uh, welcomed us into their home and actually legally adopted me as an adult. Wow. Um, so it's a really amazing 
beautiful story that they they were able to uh to do that and they're they're grandma and grandpa now and they're my mom and dad and and it's it's wonderful to have that so when we talk about my history we talk about the biological mom and dad mm-hmm. because that's the best way that we can phrase that I'm not trying to be harsh with them but it's it's the best that I can handle that mm-hmm. um so we we moved across the country from Arkansas to Texas actually and um decided that we'd settled down a bit and um, I was actually looking at possibly becoming well I was a doula and I'd been a doula for a long time just for different people who had asked me to come to their birth and asked me to help them you know and I just did just for friends and different people and family members and and it was it was great I loved it and I'd really been thinking about possibly going to midwifery school or something like that but I didn't know how that would work with younger children I was really trying to figure that out and then um, we had decided to get a, a reversal, a vasectomy reversal, um, and uh, it worked off the first time, <laughs> <laughs> which we were not expecting because it had been um, it had been four years, and the doctor had told us that um, it, the your chances go way down mm-hmm. um, after the third year actually um, having it. So we were really surprised when the first cycle that we got pregnant. <laughs> and um we're very excited about that but we had to find a new midwife um we actually contemplated going back to Arkansas just for the the final few weeks you know um just to have the midwife that we love and held you know so dear to our family um and um we didn't do that we ended up finding a midwife here and um, had the fastest home birth I've ever had in my first water birth. And it was beautiful and wonderful. And um, it just, it was four hours. <laughs> wow. I started pushing just suddenly. I was like, the midwife said, are you feeling pushy? I'm like, I guess I am. <laughs> you know, because suddenly here's coming a baby. <laughs> so it was, it was amazing. It was wonderful. And like um, all my new friends here in, in Sweetwater area, they, they hadn't seen too much home birth. Mm. And so for them, for me to have a baby and then be up and around so quickly and have this water birth that they'd not really heard about, you know, so that was a, that was interesting, um, for them. Um, cause they're, you know, Texas is big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, oh, well they live in Texas. Well, but still may be 10 hours away. <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's, it's a long state and, uh, there's a large areas that don't have midwives. Mm-hmm. large areas. And I, my midwife was an hour and 40 minutes from my house. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was, you know, quite a drive. She had so a good thing. Center, she left in time. I'm uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Cause she actually got there at, um, 10 o'clock and I had the baby at 1106. Mm, wow. So <laughs> it was, yes. <laughs> I had just kept waiting to get in the water. I wanted to get in the water so bad. I'd always wanted a water birth never had it before. And I kept just looking at that tub thinking, I just want to get in. I just want to get in, but I'm waiting for her to get there, you know, and she oh got my. there and she said, she wanted to check me. I was a six. And I said, can I please get in the water? <laughs> you know? And so then I got in the water and went from a six to baby in an hour. Gosh. <laughs> yes. So it was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. Uh, we were so thankful. He, he brought so much joy to our family that we were just like amazed that we had you know, we originally weren't going to have any more children. And, and we were so thankful for him because we just couldn't imagine our family, you know, right. without him. And it was such a blessing. Oh. And then, 
Yeah. I mean, and he is, he's joy. He just, he just lights everybody's life up. And so it's just so wonderful. Yeah. And then we had some time go by and, and we got pregnant again and we were very excited and shared, you know, of course, with everybody, we think every, we've said this to our children over and over that every single child is precious and dear to us, no matter how long we get to hold them. And, um, and it just, cause we just don't know, we don't know what tomorrow brings. And so we just are going to cherish it now. And we actually lost that little one at um, 12 weeks with a mis- miscarriage. Um, so that was difficult. Um, but we learned a lot through it. It was our family grew together through it. We, we named her Shalom and we had a burial for her and planted an apple tree over her. And my kids still call that her apple tree. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, you know, she was definitely a member of our family. And so that's, that's really big for our family. They, they talk about it. And I think it's important that we talk about those losses because we need to, (laughs) we need to, we need to talk in general. I think we hold too much back often. And I've learned myself, um, and especially from my childhood, because I couldn't speak so often. I wasn't allowed to speak. I was punished for speaking and not only by my biological parents, but by the group as a 17 year old, I got punished numerous times for not being home for dinner on time. And that did not come from my biological parents that came from the, the leaders of the group and the, and that was really hard. And so learning how to actually speak up for myself has taken actually a lot of time um, because that this, it gets ingrained into you. I mean, I was indoctrinated, you know, with that fear mindset and that obedience that I was supposed to have and to not question anything and to not make waves, to walk on eggshells all the time. And it actually was quite a bit of a challenge for my marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thankful for a husband who really tried to, you know, work with me to draw me out, you know, to, to really, you know, be praying for me and with me and, and to, you know, know that I had a lot of stuff that even he didn't know what all it was, but that right. we could work through it. And because the, those biological family, they actually came into our life at one point in time and um, almost tore our marriage up. Wow. It, was, it was close. And um, we realized that we had to really get away mm-hmm. um, and put boundaries up um, from them just because they had that pool on me just because of where I was raised and how I was raised and, and all that stuff they put in your head. And, um, it's really easy to pull somebody back. And so I realized after almost losing my marriage, um, and we'd already had children at the time and that, that it was just boundaries needed to be set up that I needed to protect our family and, and myself to not, not allow that stuff to come in again. So, so, um, that really was kind of where we were at with them. I'd always thought that, um, it was cruel to ever tell a grandparent that they couldn't see their grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like that was mean, you know? And so we did still allow them to have some type of communication with them. Um, but it was very limited and very odd. is probably the best way to put it (laughs) and I still didn't know all of the reasons why I was all I knew is my cult life that I remembered from age 10 and up um but before that I didn't have memories at the time I had mixed pieces of memories I had these weird dream-like memories that I finally called up my biological brother the oldest and I asked him about some of them 
And he broke down crying and said, no, that really happened. Um, so that was really hard for me to realize that I wasn't, well, two things, honestly, to be like, oh, I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm not making these things up. But at the same time, oh, wow, he's actually affirming this stuff, which is a little scary for me. Right. Um, so that was, that was really hard um, to hear that from him. And I just, I, I honestly, I cried for two weeks after I had some of those memories come back and figure out that was real things. And um, just ask the Lord to either take it away or let me remember it so I can get over it. One of the two, you know, I just needed to be done with it. And so he let it go for the time being. But it came back. <laughs> so this last birth was probably the the most craziest for me. And um, and he, I'm so thankful that he's such a jewel and he is such a doll. Mm. Because if he had not been, I um I probably would have been into some major depression and resentment towards my child. And I, I really hate that that would have been the case. So I'm very thankful he was a very good baby very easy to get along with, you know, and, and no trouble whatsoever because, um, I had an extremely difficult, the the first and second trimesters were not so bad. Um, but my third trimester, I started having a lot of trouble with my sciatic again. Mm -hmm. And I tried doing the belt and chiropractor and all of the things I started having a lot of pelvic pain, And so, you know, just all the different little exercises, all that we tell women to do all the time for these kinds of things. Um, I did, I did all of it and I was eating very healthy and and I tried all that I could, but I couldn't sleep well. Um, I would sleep about an hour and a half at a time and then it would just be in pain. Um, So I would, I would be up and it it was, it was pretty miserable. Mm -hmm. And I went into preterm labor with him at, um, let's see, I was 35 weeks and ended up going to the hospital. And I was worried because of all the things that I know. I was like, I, you know, he's a boy and boys usually need their lungs to be a little more developed. And, and I didn't want him to be born too early. And so my, my wonderful PCP, uh, she's a great family doctor. She actually gave me referral to go to midwifery school. Mm. Um, but she, uh, she told me, she's like, you're in a lot of pain. You're in so much pain. I can stop this if you want me to, but we can just let you go and have this baby. He's healthy and he's fine. And then you can be out of all this pain you've been in. She had already started putting me on pain medicine um, with my midwives. You know, they had collaboration um, because I, I couldn't sleep, you know, cause I was in pain. And when you can't sleep and you're exhausted, you know, then they, it's just a pain cycle yeah. and um, nothing we did could help. Um, but I asked her to stop, to stop the labor, um, because I was concerned. I was worried for my son, you know? And so we did. And then I didn't have him till 40 and six. Oh, <laughs> so it worked. Yes, it worked quite well. They had to use three different shots of tributylene to get it, the, the labor to stop. It actually never stopped. It just calmed down. Uh, um, enough to where they would let me leave the hospital. She was amazing though. She was willing to, she's like, you got that birth pool at the house? <laughs> We're like, yeah. And she's like, pack it up. If things kick back into gear, Oh wow! <laughs> she was amazing. She's like a midwife in disguise, you know, mm. um, as a doctor. And, and I was so thankful that she was willing, you know, to, to go to those steps for me, but, but I didn't have him until 40 and six. I had him at home in the birth pool. I'm in our bathroom and it was the roughest labor I've ever had. It wasn't like it was longer. It was only six hours, but I felt like it had been months. Mm. 
And I was in so much pain, but I didn't say I was in so much pain. These are the things that, you know, people with trauma, when you start learning about it and see what they did, you know, um, I thought I was screaming and yelling in pain. And I asked my husband about it later. He said, honey, you didn't say a word. Wow. A single word. And like, what do you mean? What about when I was screaming and yelling and told you to go ahead and take me to the hospital? Because literally my pubis symphysis ripped apart when I was pushing him out and I was screaming and crying in my head and saying, the hospital's only three minutes away. Take me to the hospital. How soon can I get in, you know, for them to take me? And I was just screaming my lungs out. But then I find out later from my husband, I didn't utter a word. Um, that was really hard for me to figure that out. Like, why, why did I not actually express all that pain I was in at the moment? It's not what birth is supposed to be like. Um, and I knew that I knew like, this is not how it normally is supposed to be. Why am I, you know, I, none of my other home births had been like this. Um, and all I could contribute to as well is just cause I worked too hard in my third trimester and I made myself in pain. And I caused this to happen. So I'm going to have to suffer and get through it. Mm. And that's really, well, <laughs> almost egotistical, <laughs> really, when you think about it, because that was not all on me. Yeah, there was a lot of things out of my control and, and we didn't know. And, you know, all my issues I'd had before, I never had a, I never had a pelvic x-ray. Mm-hmm. I never had looked at it before and seen if there was issues or anything like that. I was just, you know, I was able to have babies fine, you know, after that first heart. So I figured, you know, everything was okay. And I think it was just by God's grace that everything was okay beforehand. Yes. Um, because this was really terrible, but a lot of time people who've had trauma in their past, they don't know how to speak up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And even when people are asking the right questions, and my midwife asked me numerous times, are you okay? Or you look like you might be hurting. Are you okay? Is there something? And I'd be, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, every postpartum visit, I'd be like, ah, well, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. It's just hurting a little more because I'm a little older than this time, I guess. You know, when in all honesty, I was in excruciating pain. I could not move a muscle without being in excruciating pain. I would lay there at night not being able to sleep. And trying not to move, not just because of the pain, but so I didn't wake my husband or the baby. And just laying there in tears because I hurt so severely, not even moving. And yet I didn't even tell my husband. I couldn't put my pants on without sitting down because I couldn't lift my left leg. Oh, my God. And I didn't tell him. And I didn't tell my midwife. And I even went and saw that doctor. Um, because my son had um, a tongue tie and she was going to clip it for him in the office. And uh, she asked me several times, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? You know? And I was like, I'm fine. And at, while I'm saying I'm fine, I'm in excruciating pain just from walking into the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. And it was why, why, why did I do that? I know now because I've gone through a lot of counseling now. Um, but it's from a lifelong time of not being able to speak up for myself. And I did not realize at the time it took to me till three months postpartum, I broke down to my adopted mom and I just, I lost it for a little bit. I hadn't been able to wear jeans. 
I hadn't been able to wear any pants that would touch my pubis symphysis or it was excruciating. Um, so I just wore dresses all the time, you know, didn't say why. Um, I would try to limit my steps anywhere, you know, but I kept on because I'm the home birth advocate mm -hmm. in our community. I'm the home birth advocate. I'm the doula that everybody knows about in our community. Um, I'm the one that talks about how wonderful home birth is. Um, so I did not feel like I could complain that I could, I did not want to show an any type of negative view towards home birth. Mm. And that was a lot to hold on to. And I hate that I did that. And I hate that if anybody else ever feels that way, because things happen everywhere. Right. Just because I did all the right things. My midwife did all the right things. We didn't know what was going on with my pelvis and what had happened. And we didn't know, you know, I didn't voice what had happened. She didn't know that I needed to go see the doctor, that I needed to have an MRI, that I needed to see that I'd actually tore the inner muscle of my leg. Mm -hmm. That's why I couldn't lift my left leg. I tore my pubis symphysis. When it tried to, tried to heal, the pelvis came back twisted and, and uh, unaligned. I broke my coccyx. Mm -hmm. Um... I, and then I had a third degree prolapse, oh uterine prolapse. Yeah. And I took me, took me three months before I finally broke down with my mom that I was so bad. And of course she's actually a retired nurse. <laughs> and she was an OB nurse for a long time, a very compassionate one. And, um, she just gets on the phone immediately making phone calls to the doctor, to who do we have? That's a pelvic floor specialist, you know, and she started just getting on the ball with getting me help, um, which I was very thankful for. Um, cause I needed that. I needed that advocate. And I, and I actually hate that, you know, my husband would have been that for me, but for some reason I held on to that. Yeah. Um, so I did, I saw the doctor and then she got me finally set up with the pelvic Four specials. Even when I went to the doctor, I wasn't too upfront with her. I'll just be honest. I told her I was in pain. I told her, you know, I, I had issues. You know, I think I had a prolapse. I cannot even hardly touch my vagina without feeling like an excruciating pain. Um, I did tell her that my leg hurt, but I didn't tell her how badly that had been hurting. So she thought that we were just working with a a prolapse and so she gave me lots of exercises to do and everything and she gave me the exam but again I wasn't forthright with how painful it was because I had been used to hiding it right. um, for so long and um, that was my normal and so when somebody's in chronic pain for so long it's hard for them to explain their actual pain threshold right <laughs> And uh, it was, it was really, really difficult. Um, so after trying to do those exercises and finally coming to her and be like, these aren't helping, I'm not getting better. So we, she got me into the pelvic floor specialist and that was quite the experience. I actually ended up doing 45 pelvic floor treatments um, wow. with her. I maxed out all that Christian healthcare ministries would allow, which they were wonderful Mm -hmm. um, in covering, I had CHM through this whole time and they did a great job, um, of taking care of financially everything. Um, but what was really enlightening to me was the interview with the pelvic floor specialist. 
um, they are trained to ask all kinds of history questions. You know, they want to go through everything to figure out what's going on. She was amazing. Miranda Harvey, I'll give her a shout out. She's wonderful in Abilene, Texas. And she asked lots of questions. I brought in my x-ray of my, my pelvis that my doctor had done. And she said, it's obvious, you know, you have a cracked coccyx. I'm sure that's painful. I'm like, yeah. And your pubis symphysis obviously looks extremely irritated and you have some bone spurs now on the pubis symphysis. Wow. She's like, but these aren't normal birth injuries. And I'm like, she's like, what else have you done to damage your pelvis in the past? And um, I told her that I, I had broke it, you know, with my first one, I had broke my, my tailbone at least um, with, with my daughter in the hospital. But she said, this is, that's not what I'm talking about. This is like trauma, trauma, what's happened in the past. And I, all I could think of was to tell her about this bike, that bicycle accident of why I was told I could never have children, even though obviously we proved them wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and I told her this and she just looks at me and she's like, no, the only time I've ever seen injuries like this is with a traumatic, very violent rape to a grown woman. So she's like, a, a bicycle accident wouldn't have done this. So I really put a lot of questions in my mind, um, trying to figure out, you know, like what really did happen to me? What's, what's going on? And, and it brought up a lot of those memories that I had had before. And I kept having this question because what hit me then was when she asked me about the bicycle accident is that I didn't remember it. Mm. I'm like, well, I can tell you the story. And she's like, okay. So I tell her the story. And she's like, so that's what happened. I was like, yeah, that's what I've always been told. Okay. So after I start having all this doubt in my mind, like I don't actually remember this bicycle accident. Why don't I remember this bicycle accident? I remember recovering from this bicycle accident. That's all I remember. I remember I couldn't, couldn't move for three months afterwards without pain. I, I had a huge bruise over my pelvis and I was kept isolated from everyone else, from the rest of my family. I remembered that part. And it didn't take till going through pelvic floor therapy and working hard on that and working on the actual painful side of trying to figure out what's going on with my pelvis that I actually finally, I started doing birth work and started seeing trauma in, in moms mm-hmm. um, and realizing that that's what I was having happen. Um, I, I had seen one mom who had, her dad had molested her for numerous years when she was young and, um, she couldn't handle having a vaginal check. Mm-hmm. And we had talked and talked with her about it beforehand. We tried one time, not in labor, just to say, could we, could this possibly happen as a first time mom? And as you know, in birth work, I mean, that's really hard to not do a single vaginal check on a first time mom um, because you don't really know where they're at because they could be acting like they're in transition and they're still a three. Um, so um, when we worked with this mom, it was amazing, amazing, um, just victory um, because we were not successful in doing um, that vaginal check that first time, it was just too much for her. And we just said, no, we weren't going to do that to her. There's no point in, you know, causing more trauma where there already is tremendous trauma. So we made it through her whole birth without a single vaginal check. Mm-hmm. And she had an amazing birth at home. It was long. 
but she was a warrior and she was so proud. She's on happy home birth. Um, no. <laughs> so she, she knows because I had told her and I said, you need to go on there and you need to share your story because this is amazing. Um, because she fought, you know, it was so for her, it was so redemptive, mm -hmm. um, to be able to have so much joy and beautifulness come out of that severe trauma that she had had. And so I, I got to see these different things happen. We had another mom who had, she had had extreme trauma with her third birth in the hospital. It was unexpected. She, she, she was planning a home birth and she ended up having to go to the hospital and she had a nurse that treated her awful, mm. treated her so badly. She ripped her cervix. Mm. And that came out in her birth and she got to a certain point, you know, there's always this wall that women come to in birth where it's like, I feel like this is as far as I can go. I don't think that I can quite get past this. And then you encourage them and, and, and they get, they get, you know, encouragement from their loved ones and they, they mustered up and then they fight over that wall, mm -hmm. you know, and she got to this wall and all she could remember was that nurse hurting her. Oh. And that's all that kept coming up. Um, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me anymore. And we had to keep telling her, no, we love you. We are here for you. We're not hurting you. You know, we're not, we're just, you know, trying to help you have this baby. And she would just go back again, more another contraction would come and it would be, she'd be right back in that room with that nurse. Mm. And it was, it was very traumatic for her. And, and in fact, we almost transported her um, because it had got to the point where it was suffering and not, not how birth is supposed to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And we told her, we can't allow you to be at this point of suffering. And it was so amazing. So it was another victory. It was just, I mean, we were literally packing up her stuff. We had already called the hospital that we were coming to bring her in because she is just stuck in this moment of terror and fear from this trauma from that birth and didn't, couldn't get out of it. You know, she was just so stuck in it and she was in transition and she was trying so hard to have this baby, but everything we did, it was just like, we are not going to get past this. And she literally stood up out of the birth pool where she had been thrashing around and so much just trauma on her that she just stood up and she said, Jesus, you either give me my baby or make this pain stop. And I popped her baby. <laughs> literally oh. like, woof, we had to catch really fast. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so it was amazing because she she fought through it, you know, and she had this moment of, I've got to let go. I've got to let that be. And, you know, give, I need my baby. And it was beautiful. And of course we were all bawling our eyes out. <laughs> it was such a, a traumatic and wonderful moment for mm -hmm. us all. But for me personally, going through these as a student midwife with them, I then keep getting drawn back into my experiences and the pain that I had still been in from my birth mm -hmm. and I, it's two and a half years and um at the time it was two years and I had been really like in pain every day I'd been on tramadol daily for two and a half years because it had started in my third trimester um I tried to do all kinds of exercises chiropractic couldn't ever the doctor suggested numerous times that I need to go in for surgery they need to put a pelvic plate in. And I kept refusing. And I had to come to this point 
where I acknowledge that there's more to this than I'm realizing. And I talked to my husband and said, I think I need to go see a, a therapist or a counselor. I need to see somebody. I need to talk to somebody about this. Because I felt like my poor pelvic floor specialist was kind of turned into that. Oh, <laughs> Even doing double duty. She wasn't intending to. Right. That's kind of what she had done. And she was an amazing Christian woman. So I'm very thankful for her. But I was like, I need to see somebody, a professional, mm. um, about this. And so I did. I actually was able to see somebody the next week. And and able to go in and after a couple, like two appointments, I, I got straight to the heart of it. And I was like, I need to know, I, you know, yes, I was raised in a cult. I don't know what all went along with that. I know what I remember of it, but I have this issue that I'm trying to separate. I can't figure out in my head. I think that I did not have a bicycle accident and I had a horrific sexual assault incident instead. Mm-hmm but I have nothing to base that on besides weird memories that I have. And we did some therapy and some EMDR therapy where I came to full realization that, oh no, I gained in an hour, I, my brain connected all these different little bits and pieces of memories that I had had. And I was blown away with the trauma that I had actually experienced. Wow. And it was, I did not, I was told my whole life I had this bicycle accident. It was my fault. I traded bikes with a boy whose brakes didn't work, went down a hill, hit, hit a, I could tell you this word, you know, all the time, mm-hmm. hit, a, hit a rock, did two flips in the air, landed at the handlebars between my legs and injured mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. But that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that we knew that didn't happen was because as soon as I talked to my counselor, I said, my whole family can quote this whole story. And she's like, from the same perspective. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's always been from the same perspective. Nobody's ever had a different perspective on it. Everybody tells it exactly the same. I knew immediately then that it had been because it had been told to me so many times. They had convinced me that that's what had happened. And I was flooded with memories of that recovery. and. What actually happened was a bunch of uh, teenagers actually had all sexually assaulted me. And a neighbor girl found me on the side of the road and brought me home. And I remembered after that, but I always thought when the neighbor girl brought me home, she was bringing me home from my bicycle accident. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't know what really happened. And I actually have talked to my biological brother now who realized that he had no memory of that also. And I had to tell him, you know, it's been a lie this whole time. And he's kept really good acquaintance with the biological family. And so that was really hard yeah, to, to have those memories flooded. And then I learned that, that I'm not done, mm-hmm. that there's a lot more that I don't know that my biological brother told me. He said, I'm not going to tell you because I don't know exact details, but I will tell you, you have actually a whole lot more trauma that your brain is keeping from you. Wow. So when I think about that, and then I, like my brain is trying to connect all these things. And then I'm thinking about this birth and my doctor, I went to her and told her, you know, and she's like, well, no wonder this is coming out now. You have been in tremendous pelvic pain for two years and barely able to speak about it. Yeah. Barely able to tell anybody the pain you've been in because your brain's been saying it like it was before. You were in excruciating pain 
the same type of pain before and you couldn't tell anybody about it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so you're just uh, automatically, you know, to, to almost to try to save you, you're shutting down, even though you're yep. safe, you know, like now you're safe yeah. and you can, in your the brain safest is, no. spot I could be in my life right now. Like mm -hmm. the safest. I mean, they married almost 18 years, amazing man, have a wonderful mom and dad now, beautiful family, you know, I mean the safest and I'm doing the work that God has meant for me to do, right. you know? And I'm like, cause my first class, why now? I don't want all this stuff now, <laughs> you know, this is hard. Yeah. Jeez, this is awful. I don't want to do this. But then at the same time, yeah, my husband is like, well, this is the perfect time for you to do this. Yeah. And then I get worried because I was like, well, yeah, I need to work through all of my stuff right now. That way that I can be the provider that I need to be mm -hmm. for other women, um, which I know that now I pick up on trauma much right. bigger, you know, oh, I I can see, and I'm immediately the first one when I see there's a wall and we're not getting there. Is there anything that we need to talk about? Is there mm -hmm. something going on? You know, that, um, because I, I just see it on people now, I guess, be, because I recognize that feeling mm -hmm. it's weird, you know, that it's such a feeling, but it is, um, of that, just not being able to speak up, not being able to be heard. Um, you know, feeling like you're, sh you're, you're shutting down. Um, that's just, it's, it's a really hard place to be in. And, um, it's, it's, we don't talk about it. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. what I have to say. Cause it's something that I came to realize driving back home from a birth that I was really thinking about it. And I was like, we don't talk about this stuff. Yeah. We don't talk about that hard trauma. We don't talk about the girl who was molested. And then she goes to have her first baby and it's so difficult for her. You know, um, in my case, I don't know how common it is for people to have repressed memories or bits and pieces of memories and then gain them back in such a traumatic way. Um, I'm thankful I have a counselor that I can go to to talk to about it because she's been wonderful to help me work through it, even off the clock, you know, and when, yeah. when my when when my biological brother called me and I had to tell him that she was immediately to you know, I texted her and she was immediately to call me and talk to me, you know, and that kind of stuff. But that's what we need. We need mm -hmm. people who are willing to listen, not just those professionals that we pay to help us, you know, because they've been well-trained in, in what they do, but I shouldn't have been scared to talk to my wonderful group of women about what I was actually going through. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was scared. I was scared that I wasn't being tough enough. I was scared that I was getting too old. I was scared that I was going to make midwifery look bad, that, that maybe, I don't know, I would make homework look bad and then they would never view it as a good thing. And I, I kept all that in when I could have had a wonderful support group of people, um, working through that with me, instead of me being so inside of myself and struggling, not only with this emotional trauma that I was going through, but this real physical trauma. I'm still mm -hmm. right now, actually two days ago, I had to have a procedure done um, on my SI joints um, to test how bad they are and how much they're going to have to fuse. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm looking at currently three surgeries to fix my pelvis. 
Oh, and man. that's after two months ago, I, because of my prolapse and because of the numerous cysts, I had to have a sudden radical hysterectomy. Wow. <laughs> so I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> Everything is being thrown at me right now, but I am learning and I want other women to know that it's okay to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is going to be a continuation for me for quite some time. And not only the whole emotional aspect and the memories and all that stuff that I know I'm going to have to work through. And as a mama who has three daughters, you know, talking to my teenagers and even my 10 year old about, Hey, you know, the importance of protecting yourself and the importance of, you know, I, I'm scared to death that my almost 16 year old is going to look terrible at birth and not want to have babies because of what happened with my last birth. Mm. And yeah. I don't want that for her. Cause that's not how it's normally, that's not how right. it's supposed to be, but that's the memory she has is of me suffering and then not able to have any more babies after that. Yeah. I think that you are doing such a service though. Now, you know, it's like, it's almost like your body was begging you to recognize the trauma, you know, yes, it was begging you and, and it took, not that it, not that you wanted that birth, but you luckily by working with these care providers, you were awakened to so many things that, that your body was desperate for you to know, you know, about your past until so that you can now build and heal in the future. And that alone, that is what's going to, you know, help your children that seeing their mother, the healing part. Yes, I I completely agree. And my husband has said that numerous times too. This being to see, you know, you you working through it, right. you know, as it comes, because that's what we have to do, right? Just like in labor, right? You know, you, mm-hmm. you just have to take those waves as they come. You can't predict how they're gonna be. Yep. And and how the, the healing process that's coming from that and what a change it's being, you know, and and I of course I want them to be. I want them to be those women that are there for other women, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. are the ones to listen, to draw out the right questions to, you know, to be able to talk about these really hard stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, just to say that my biological parents will never be allowed to be around my kids anymore. Yep. Never. Mm-hmm. I will not do that to them. And to be honest, when I told my oldest that she said, praise the Lord. Mom. Oh, wow. And I just, that took me because I was like, what has she been holding in and not feeling like she could be honest about or say, right. Because I still put her in their presence, you know, kids pick up on stuff big Mm -hmm. time. So I just, I just, you know, I just, we have to talk about this stuff. We have to be able to heal and for our daughters and for, you know, all those moms out because one day they're going to be moms. And they're going to see, you know, all this stuff. And if we keep it all inside and we don't tell anybody about what's going on for one, either it's going to happen again because they didn't know, you know, about the situations or it's going to make it so they're stronger in the future. Right. And so that they have more tools, you know, to use, they know, you know, to build a group of women around you to be able to be honest with them Mm -hmm. about, you know, everything. All yeah. those things that we need to talk about. I, it still amazes me that I couldn't be honest with my husband. 
I, I really amazes me that because him and I are, we're, I'm so thankful for him. Mm -hmm. So it really hurts me that I couldn't, I couldn't be honest with him about it. It took time. You know, I am now. Um, Oh gosh. I mean, trauma is just trauma is trauma. And we don't know how we're going to go through it until we're there. Well, and I'm so thankful. He's actually a police officer now. Mm. And, um, he, he's like, you know, this, he's the one telling me, like, I kept saying, well, that incident, he said, no, you need to say sexual assault (laughs) just because he was like, stop, stop downplaying stuff, you know? And he was really encouraging, obviously his training has helped with that too. Um, but things that I didn't even think about or, or know about. And, and even he knew the resource. He's the one that suggested the counselor I go to. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so I'm very thankful for that, but you know, all that to bring that, you know what, women, we have to talk about these things and, you know, as a student midwife and midwives, they ask questions, but sometimes we need to know how to get in there to ask, you know, those really intimate questions to be able to draw things out, to help get through, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's in the middle of birth or maybe it's just a a pregnancy or postpartum, because sometimes that mind can really play with you postpartum. Mm -hmm. And if we don't feel open and able to discuss with people, because, well, as I've always thought, people are just going to think I'm crazy. And now I know that crazy runs through my genes you know, all the way down to my great grandfather. I mean, that messes with you. Mm-hmm. Well, and obviously so you're not crazy because you are, not, you're know, changing, it, you're changing things for your family. <laughs> and not only that, but you're changing things for the women around you. And in that vein, you know, before we started this call, you told me that you and some other women um, that you're close to have created a resource, which I would love for you to share um, because there, there are other women that are listening to this story and they've got stories similar. And um, so would you mind sharing about that? Sure. Absolutely. Um, So actually, yeah. in talking with some of the moms um, to just about their trauma experience and how, you know, they had no clue when I was, you know, helping with their care that I had so much trauma also. And so now that they're out of care and stuff, and I kind of talked with them a little bit about it. Um, One of them was like, I have always wanted to be able to talk to other women about it. And I need a place for us to be able to do that without fear of judgment and, and fear of, you know, they're going to think I'm crazy or fear of, you know, all those things us women put on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, she was like, I wish we could do something. And then I was like, we can, (laughs) and just was like, why don't we do that? So we actually complete grassroots. We started a a Facebook group. Um, It's called healing trauma mamas. Um, trying to make it easy for people to find. Um, And we just welcome any moms, anyone who has um, had any type of, you know, childhood trauma or birth trauma, um, that they are welcome to come there. They can unload, they can get encouragement, they can, you know, help encourage others because of experiences that they've had. And just just the space to be able to be free of any type of that, that judgment and those things that we hold tight to, um, that we're worried about when we're talking to other women, that that stuff can be just left at the door and they can just come as they are and, and truly, you know, gather around each other. Mm -hmm. That's our goal with it. We would love, um, 
you know, for anybody listening to the podcast, if they have any type of experience like that, to just go look us up on the Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. It's Healing Trauma Mamas. And um, hopefully, you know, they can they can join. I'm the moderator of the group and and we'd love to have them. And, and you know, I think we can glean from each other's experiences. Yeah. Um, and really helps us to work through our own experiences and to grow um, where we're at. Yeah. Oh gosh, Madon, I cannot thank you enough for having the strength to come on and share all of this. Um, like you said, it's not easy to talk about, but it's important. <laughs> it's so important. And for you to be able to stand up and share your story, I know it's going to empower others to do the same. Um, and and this group is such a great idea. I'm so grateful that you created it and I will certainly be linking it in the show notes and um, cheering you guys on. So once again, thank you so much for being such an asset in our community and, and thank you for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Absolutely. I'm glad to do it. Yes, it actually has been very hard, lots of prayer to be able to do it, but um, I think somebody's got to speak up. Mm-hmm. I'm glad Thank I could you do for it. doing it. Thank you. Wasn't that such an amazing story? Madon's still on her journey to healing, and I highly encourage anyone who recognizes a need to heal trauma to join her in the new community she's created. As we head into this week's episode roundup, I have a few thoughts I'd like to discuss. Now, number one is we need to keep our eyes out for obstetric abuse and report it when we see it. Madon experienced deep birth trauma at the hands of an abusive nurse and OB team. And this, my friends, is why we have such abysmal outcomes compared to other countries. When situations like this are allowed to unfold in the hospital setting, when there is no care for the people you're supposed to be serving, this leads to nothing good. If you hear stories like this from your friends, perhaps you can encourage them to reach out and report it. We have to be the ones demanding change. Next, it was very eye-opening to hear how Madon became aware of her trauma over time. As care providers, you may assume that your clients know if they've experienced some sort of deep trauma, but they may be the ones who know the least, as their minds do their best to protect them. This was a great reminder for me, and I also appreciate the way that Madon expressed her inability to express. She couldn't speak, and even when she thought she was speaking, screaming even in labor, she wasn't. This being the case, we must be vigilant, as so many midwives are, to continue the deep observational skills that midwives are so good at. And finally, I want to end on the positive note that there is help. There are others who have walked this road if you're walking through past traumas, and there are so many who would love to walk it with you. You don't have to be alone, and you don't have to be silent. Finding a counselor or therapist who understands trauma and even just finding the strength over time to open up to those that you love will hopefully not only work on your own healing process, but also give others the courage to heal too. Be sure to look into Madon's group, Healing Trauma Mamas, for additional community, and that's on Facebook. Thank you, Madon, for your willingness to share and expose the difficulty through which you've walked. It was such a blessing to have you on the podcast. All right, my friends, before you hop off, would you take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram stories? Tag Happy Home Birth Podcast and let us know what takeaway or strength you drew from this episode. Okay, my friends, that's all I've got for you today. I'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. 
Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.